What do you get when you have a crazy pandemic, too much time on your hands, and the need for community? You get the schmooze. Join me, Allison Friedman, as I yenta it up with other members of the TAE fam. Join me. Welcome back to another episode of The Schmooze. I am really excited today because I have a good friend with me who is a TAE committee member extraordinaire and, and everybody's favorite former mayor of Agora Hills, Dan Cooperberg. Yay. Welcome. Best, best intro I've had in years. Thank That's what I'm here for. I mean, I should just walk around with you and be your introducer. We would have so much fun. I think so. We'll make it happen. Um, socially distant, of course. So um, <laughs> thank you for uh, taking the time to come out and be on the schmooze. Dan is joining us from his view at but Stanford in, in California. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. Courtesy of, courtesy of Agura Hills. <laughs> courtesy of a Zoom background. <laughs> so Dan, I want to hear a little bit about your Jewish journey. It's something I like to learn about um, guests when they come on the schmooze because obviously you're Jewish because you're here at Temple Dot Elohim um, and or you're Jewish. Um, and so I want to hear about like how you were brought up and how you practiced, how you led to your life now and take it away. Well, I kind of have a different, I think, experience that, than most people. Um, my dad was in the Air Force. He was a JAG Corps, a lawyer in the Air Force. So we moved around all over the place and we're stationed all over the world. Uh, I've said before that I'm a nice Jewish boy born in a Catholic hospital in a Mormon state because my dad was stationed at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. So I was born in Ogden, Utah. I was born in a Catholic hospital in Ogden, Utah. Which not that I've ever really been back to Ogden, Utah since then. I don't, I don't think there's a historical monument or even a hysterical monument that that proclaims my birth there, but what? we were there. Um, and, and so we lived all over. And I think the first time I really remember being Jewish was about age five. We lived in Wiesbaden, Germany, the only Jewish family in this town, which was a you big- don't say. <laughs> but there were Americans and there were Germans that lived all around. This is 1963, so it wasn't, I know, I know you don't have any idea how old I am, but it wasn't like it was the middle of the war. Right. Um, you know, um, but, but as a five-year-old, I stood up at Hanukkah in front of the 700 kids in the assembly or the parents and read the story of Hanukkah for my little sheet of paper. Wow. And then I put it down and put on my fake beard, and I was one of the wise men in the play um, about, what's his name? The guy? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I remember, like, all the, my, my class came to my parents' apartment because my mom had decorated for Hanukkah with all Hanukkah decorations all over and menorahs and, and made, you know, cookies look like menorahs, whatever, yeah. dreidels. Um, and so we kind of had an experience different than I think a lot of people. Um, whenever we moved to a new city or town, we would join the temple if there was a temple. Right. Um, and I think it was probably my parents' way of keeping our Jewish identity alive. Um, right. Were they more like culturally Jewish or were they actually religious and observant traditional Jews? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, we, we learned reformed Jewish values 
Um, we went to Temple on Friday nights, but not all Friday nights, and right. the big holidays. And my favorite holiday growing up was Passover because we were sitting around the dinner. I've got, at the time, I had a couple siblings. I, I have four siblings now, but right. a sister that came later. Um, and and uh, we were just involved, involved in the Jewish community. Later, uh, when I was about 12, my dad was uh, in the Air Force, sent to Thailand. We he was sent alone, so our family stayed in Ohio. Okay. And because he was the highest ranking Jewish officer, he was basically like the Jewish chaplain or the lay leader for all the Jews on the base in Thailand. And I think that made an impression on me that he took that responsibility seriously, leading the services. Um, later on, when we moved to California, he was a temple president of his temple down in Orange County. Um, my Jewish values, I'm, I'm reform on the side of Lutheran, um, is my joke. Uh, I'm not sure what it means, other than I think it sounds funny. Um, and I think my, my idea of reform Judaism is social awareness and, and being involved in the community and giving in the community. And, mm -hmm. and that's how we were brought up, being aware of your community. And, and, and those are some of the Jewish values and tikkun olam. And I'm probably more that than the religious part and mm -hmm. the God part. Um, and I think that's important. It's important to me and it's important to, to my family. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say that I identify with that really, really well. So um, I get what you're saying. I get okay. it. <laughs> so then that kind of planted the seeds for you to then seek out a congregation, obviously, when you were a grown up yourself. Um, and I don't know when exactly that was, but here we are, at least right now at Temple Dada Lahim. How long have you been a member? Do you remember? You know, I think it's about 24 years or so. Okay. You've seen your fair share of um, of the things that go on at the temple, and you've been on many committees. Um, I know you've been charged to lead many groups. Um, you've spoken at events, but I do want to hear about like your TAE life and what that entails. Well, we were just members for a while, and then uh, basically because I was busy with work and busy with the city council job and with the kids and. The, and we really weren't connected to Temple a whole lot other than bringing the kids back and forth for religious school and um, Hebrew school and bar mitzvahs. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I got, I got involved pretty much after I left the city council stuff. Um, Which we'll get to in a moment. So hang on to that. Right. And uh, um, because I was still working full time, I didn't necessarily have a, a portfolio. I wasn't vice president of membership or something. Uh, but I joined, uh, I was asked to join some committees and asked to join the board. Um, and you, I think you and I met on a Kadima committee. We did. We go way back. Uh, that was a few years ago. Um, 10 years ago? Well, we've been members for uh, almost 10. So I want to say that maybe that was about like eight years ago because okay. we got involved really quickly. Gee, it seems like a long time. Uh, time flies. Yeah, something like that. Um, and so between that and the, I guess the most people probably know me either from the rabbinic search committee, mm -hmm. which which I chaired, or uh, you know I've spoken you know at a couple Sunday morning breakfast type things. So 
So and yeah. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm there. When, when we used to go to the temple, remember back in those days? You mean when you could like physically attend a temple and yeah, be inside yeah. with people? Yeah, it's a distant memory. I used, I used to go on Friday nights. Yeah. So. I think you were first in line at the Oneg, right? Always. <laughs> Always. That's why I, I sit in the back. Well, that's a smart, that's a really smart move. I mean, that's like a pro temple hack right there is you want first dibs at the Oneg, sit in the back of the sanctuary and you're boom. As soon as those doors open, you're right there. So. Also, also, there's a, there's a little bit of organization to make sure no one's blocking your way. Um, so anyway, we can get into that later. <laughs> those are like the behind the scenes of the inner workings of a serious temple congregant right there. I and like you it. Don't, you don't need to be a temple board member to know those tricks. No, not at all. This, we're, we're, we can share this tip with everybody who's watching. The millions and millions of people who Although tune I'm, in. I'm not sure that I feel happy that I just gave away some of those tips because now people may be in front of me. What's your favorite dish at the Oneg? Like oh, what do well you first in line for? That's the babka, of course. The babka, the babka. Yeah, it's a good stuff right there. I'm, I will say I feel guilty eating the chocolate babka in front of my doctor. <laughs> do you feel like he's judging you because he's there? Absolutely, he, actually not. He doesn't judge at all because he's a great guy. Absolutely. But I just feel really guilty. You're like, you're like, sorry about this. I'll, uh, I'll eat the vegetables tomorrow. I know we were discussing my weight two days ago, but it's chocolate babka. And it's Shabbat. It's a mitzvah to eat this, right? I'm here and I sat through, sir. I mean, I enjoyed the service. Priorities. That's right. <laughs> um, you mentioned a little bit about city council um, and some of your claim to fame, one of your many claims to fame is um, sitting on city council in Agora Hills, being the mayor. Um, and then I know you've also like worked with and consulted with uh, candidates and members as well. So I'd love to hear about what that's like because it's a little bit different than just running for like school president when you promise to put soda in the drinking fountains. So <laughs> what, um, what, is that, what is that world like in local politics? Well, first of all, soda and drinking fountains is an excellent idea and I think I think it would be a great campaign platform to run on. You're um, welcome. I think Matthew Broderick or somebody did that already. Um, <laughs> so I was, my family was always involved in the world, in the community, and so mm -hmm. that meant the political world. So we were encouraged to read the paper and be involved in no things. And I just got involved at a very young age. I was doing campaign work in high school. I was working for the assembly candidate when we lived in Orange County and got more and more involved. Um, I worked for a political consulting firm while I was in college. That, and so I was essentially running campaigns. And through that firm, I got involved actually in doing some advanced staff for the White House in oh. 1980. Wow. So that was pretty cool. I did some events with White House personnel, not the president, but I actually did right. an event with the first lady. Wow. Um, which is just like, planning out the trip, planning out every second of the, the, the trip that she was doing. Uh, I wasn't doing the planning, I was just sort of the leg guy, and I was a kid. Um, yeah, what a great opportunity. But I was doing campaign work uh, at a very early age, and I was doing it, and then realized that I could get paid for doing it too, so it was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, and, and then wasn't a lot involved because I was working and had, raising a family, but when we moved to Agura Hills, I knew that I wanted to get involved in a small city. I think 
Agoura Hills was more attractive to me than Woodland Hills because Woodland Hills was part of LA and Agoura right. Hills, maybe I could get involved. I wasn't ever planning to run because I never actually wanted to run. It was always more fun doing the campaign stuff. But I started getting involved in the city politics and pretty soon I got elected and served 16 years on the council, three terms wow. as mayor. And now I help my friends get elected and help other people get elected. So, um, that's awesome. Do you feel exhausted by this season or excited by the season? Because when this episode of The Schmooze airs, we will be days away from election season really ending. We, we used to call it like election day, right? But now it's a month or so of election Michigas. Um, and so now that we're at the heels at the end, the, you know, the final push, what is what is it like to be in this part of the race? Well, like everything else this year, who knows? Twenty um, twenty. <laughs> you know, um, the scary part of me thinks that election day is the beginning of martial law, <laughs> and um, I'm a little nervous about that. But I don't want to scare everybody, so probably that's not going to happen. Right. But the fact that I can even make a joke about it is kind of scary. You know, on a national right. level. Um, we can't control it. Most of us through our guilt have been sending money, making phone calls to other states because California right. doesn't make a difference, feeling more guilty, sending money or doing what we can. Um, I mean, I've got hopes that the world will change, our country will change and you know, people won't die unnecessarily or be put in cages unnecessarily. So typically I will say on the schmooze, we haven't ever really, dug deep into um, politics because I'm sure we are lucky enough to have many different viewers with different viewpoints. But I think because you do have a background in this area, I'm okay with opening these doors a little bit here because I think this, this is a lot of what your lens is. Like this is how you see your life and the world because you have experience in this. Party, schmarty, you know, president, schmesident. I think you have the um, the really interesting view of like even just local politics and how local politics matter and should not be discounted. I think a lot of people think about election season as being president, 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 you know, and that's all I think about. But there's so much more, as you know, between props and local politics, school board, whatever. Um, a lot's on the line just where we live in our little bubble, right? So. What do you, what is it like to be involved in local politics at this time of year at the, on the heels of the election being over? Well, this year is different because this year um, with the virus, we all got ballots. In a way, the election's over. Um, right. I think more people have voted as of today than, you know, may in previous years have ever voted at all, um, especially in California, especially locally. I mean, I'm involved in my city council races, I'm helping two of the candidates running. City council and school board are nonpartisan. They're very important. Right. I'm helping a, a one school board candidate in particular. Um, and basically, in some ways, it's over because people have already voted. Right. Uh, and uh, a lot of times in the past, I'd be planning a walk for this weekend. We'd have 20, 30 volunteers and passing out literature. Mm. We'd be anticipating if somebody is going to do something, we could respond to what they're doing. Um, we don't use the media because we're local elections. And, you know, it's not television and, and, right. and radio as much. 
Um, but we're still active on social media. But the people that I'm helping, the literature's already gone out. Most of the work's already gone out. And, you know, <laughs> the election's next week. Um, and so for the most part, this part's over. And in the past, I'd be real nervous. This time, it's not quite the same. Right. So, I mean, do you, because things have really kind of drilled in quick, more quickly than they used to, um, do, you, do we think that it's possible to feel good or um, be worried about results? I mean, obviously, results haven't been delivered, but is, do you have more time to, I guess, like absorb what the outcome might be? I have no idea. You know, it's, it's I just, so that's I, still I a guessing game. That's still like a who knows. I think in California, we're going to know results a lot faster. Mm -hmm. In the past, they never counted anything. They'd wait. Your ballots would be taken if you live in LA County down to Norwalk and then Ventura up to Ventura. And then, you know, they literally have to wait for the sheriffs to empty the ballot boxes or and be taken. This year, they've already counted these votes. I mean, I went online and my votes already counted. I mean, right. they, right, you know, so, um, it's possible that at 8.05, we're gonna have a lot of results in California. Hmm. And in some states that are doing the same thing, we'll know that early. Right. But some states, we may not know for a long time. Right. Um, so there really is a, a sense of excitement that there's gonna be change, um, but it's kind of scary because we don't know. Between social media and um, just, I've never gotten so many texts before from you know people involved in different campaigns for propositions or parties and so i'm definitely feeling like i'm surrounded by the election buzz which i used to um not enjoy but this year i'm i'm feeling it i'm i'm into it so i think that's good that more people are getting you know finding ways to be involved and um and educate themselves and have a platform so um yeah, so it's interesting to hear your take on how that all works, especially at the local level. So we'll see. I know, um, you know, Thousand Oaks has some heated races going on too. A lot of our congregants are in Thousand Oaks between city council and school board. We definitely have some um, hot seats to fill or replace or depending on how you look at it and what team you're on. <laughs> and, and I think these, you know, these are the day-to-day -day life things, you know, the national elections don't affect us to some extent, sure. but city council person is going to decide you know, if your street gets paved. Right. You know, your kids, what they learn in school, whether they learn at all about other cultures is all going to be based on your school board's decisions. These decisions could not be more important. And then the people you elect for city council and school board, sometimes they go on to bigger and better things. Right. Um, you know, Jackie Irwin was a local city councilwoman from Thousand Oaks. Um, I wouldn't say she's a rocket scientist. Oh, yeah, she is a rocket scientist. But anyway, but now, you know, she's an assembly member. And, right. uh, you know, so um, this is where people get their start. And you decide if they're good at what they're at their job. So, right. Uh, local elections are very important. Local elections are very important. And who knows, like, you could even one day aspire to become like temple president. That's the highest of the high, right? That's a that's a whole different <laughs> level of politics that that i would never get involved in <laughs> i was just gonna say is that your next step dan cooperberg <laughs> president 2022 or whatever year we uh, next have a new you. president thank you for for letting me turn down that opportunity <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> that's funny you know with all your your time in the world twiddling your thumbs um 
you have a, a career um, in this little thing called law. Um, you are a very famous public defender. <laughs> I would, <laughs> I know you've given like many talks, you've, you've, you've nicely attended bagel brunches and explained all your juicy stories. I would love to hear just a couple snippets of what it's like to have um, enjoyed this career um, in law, especially in LA County. So I was a deputy public defender in LA County. I had just retired a year and a half ago, uh, 34 years. Um, as a deputy public defender, you're a criminal defense attorney. You start off handling smaller crimes and uh, I ended up handling very, very big crimes. Uh, so, I, you know, people love watching TV and crime stories totally. and books. They're always bestsellers. So it is interesting, the career that I ended up doing. Um, I didn't know that I was going to do that after law school, but it just seemed like I wanted to see if I could be a trial lawyer. It seemed like a trial lawyer, most lawyers are are basically in the libraries writing briefs. Mm -hmm. Most lawyers do not try cases and most civil lawyers might try a case every five years or something. And, you know, I was, I tried 11 cases my first year, misdemeanor trials. And there were years that I would try five to 10, 15 cases a year. Um, it was fun. It was good. But I also felt like I was doing the right thing. I was doing the thing that was my values, helping someone who needed help, someone who did something wrong, perhaps, but then they should be punished properly, not unjustly. Um, and in our criminal justice world, these are usually people of color. They're usually people that are poor. The people I represented were always poor because that's why they got a public defender. Right. Um, and the system isn't really designed to help poor people of color as a general rule. Hmm. Uh, and my values were this was what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I must admit some of my friends from law school and even some family members are you could be out making a lot of money and a lot more money than you're making. But um, I liked what I was doing. I thought I was doing was right. It was also the kind of job that I could stay, be home and at four o'clock in the afternoon to coach my kids basketball or baseball team and not have to work on the weekends. Right. Um, so it was a, it was a good career. I, I enjoyed it. I'm proud to be a deputy public defender. Um, and along the way, I had some couple of interesting cases, uh, that were pretty serious that I tried to help people, so. Were you ever afraid of any of your clients? Uh, I had one client threaten me, uh, threatened to stab me. There had been an article in the paper. So the dual role of being on the city council and being a public figure and being a public defender, there had been an article in the paper that I had been mentioned in and my client, even in jail, had read the paper and saw that, <laughs> I was a local politician living in Agoura Hill. So he also knew where I lived, uh, at least the city. So once we were about to do a hearing and he said, you know, I don't think you spent enough time on my case. You're too busy in, in Agoura Hills. I may put something in your back. Don't turn around. Well, that was a little bit fun. Um, and he was just scared. And, um, but I mean, I actually know people that were, were hit or, or stabbed by their clients. Uh, and there's times when clients have had outbursts. So I don't think I was ever really afraid, but that was a little disconcerting to say the least. Yeah, well, and like the, the logical side of me, which I probably shouldn't even be waking up, is like, dude, this is your attorney. Like, this is your ticket out, man. Like, what are you doing? But 
that's me probably trying to be rationally thinking and maybe some of these folks were not rationally thinking. I mean, is that like what I could assume here? A really smart guy once, once told me that the reason that, that my clients got in trouble in the first place was they probably made an error in judgment. They made a bad decision. Yeah. Now for them to continue making a bad decision or an error in judgment would not be a surprise. So kind of get used to that concept. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, he was lashing out and he was scared. Um, and I tried not to take it too personal once I made sure my back was protected. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But like no other kinds of threats or physical altercations. No, no, nothing, nothing worth mentioning. Wow. Wow. But like you would go into the correctional facilities, right? And like work with them there. And you, so you saw the low of the low, really. Yeah, I would, my normal joke now would be, yeah, the low of the low. You mean the judges? You know, people would say, how do you deal with those despicable people? And I say, well, they're judges, just like anybody else. Um, um, you know, the clients I got along fine with. I mean, it's, wow. it, they were clients and they deserved my help and yeah. my attention. And, you know, a lot of times it was based on, you know, their economic situations. They right. didn't have any money and they stole. Uh, there are plenty of clients who stole because they stole or they committed a crime because... Right. They were not a nice person. Right. Um, but I will say in my 30 years, what's probably pretty interesting is that the level of mental health problems when I retired, I would say is so significantly higher than when I started. Wow. The level, the level of violence is significantly higher. Um, and, you know, I, I dealt with more serious cases at the end of my career, obviously, than at the beginning. But we just weren't used to seeing that many people with mental health problems, but it kind of makes sense because society gave up on the mental health treatment in the eighties and we put more people in jail in the eighties and nineties and we stopped helping people and instead we just warehouse them. And so we didn't take care of people. And I think that contributed. So. Right. And then part of your job is to then pick up those pieces and help these people to get back on track. Yeah, it's a different world now than when I started in, in, in the criminal justice field. Now, mm -hmm. now we're talking about reforms and we're talking about diversion programs and restorative justice and really, really good things that we tried to do, but nobody was interested in doing. No judges, right. no district attorneys were interested in that 30 years ago. Um, hmm. So, it's, are, it's you able, are you able to watch a courtroom drama on TV? Or are you like, no, 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 I can't watch because it's like they're doing it wrong or it's too close to home? Some are, some are better than others. Yeah. Uh, so some of them are just unbelievably bad. I'll usually give them a try. And, right. And the things that are said, I just can't watch it. And there's others that are just really good. Yeah. Uh, and, and to the dismay of people that know me, <coughs> I'm, um, I read a lot of criminal law stuff. You right. know, the serial murders, the... And, and, our, and my friends or family will be like, don't you tired of that? This is what you do all day. Then you read that for relaxation. And yeah. Yeah. I like. Part of who you are, right? You obviously went into this field for a reason. So. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's fascinating. I could hear those stories all day, but another time you'll tell me some more. Um, so you have three sons. 
It's almost like a TV show. Um, and <laughs> you're, not old, you're not old enough to know that. I'm an old soul. God um, bless you at night. Provided <laughs> you with information. I'm, I know more than you realize. Um, so you have three sons, and from what I understand, two have gone into the artsy entertainment world. Um, one, your middle son, right, is, is leaning toward politics, and uh, sounds like you might have another uh, little Dan on your hands. So I'd love to hear you brag for a moment about all the amazing accomplishments of your three boys. Well, uh, I won't tell you which one I like the best. Um, but I'll just the one watching the schmooze, right? <laughs> I'm sure they'll all be watching now, just to just to check out their inherent uh, their their comments. Um, <coughs> so uh, they're each uh, amazing in their in their own way. Um, my oldest is uh, Ethan. Uh, he's probably the most was the most famous until Matthew came along, perhaps. Oh. Um, Ethan's a television writer. Uh, you might have seen his stuff on Transparent. He was a writer there for the first four seasons. If you read The New Yorker, he's in there frequently in the comedic section. He's very um, funny. And uh, he has, he's just finished writing a new show that he's co-executive producer on. Uh, that's going to be with Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd, maybe on TV in the, in the spring, perhaps. Um, Love to see it. Uh, that, so he's a, uh, He's very accomplished for what he's done uh, for, for his age. And uh, um, he's, he's really good. He's a very, very funny guy and taught me how to say yes, I am, not yes, but. Um, That's right. You'll, you'll appreciate that. I appreciate it. So, Ethan, I don't know you, but I'm a big fan, which is really, is that creepy? Is that weird to say right here in front of your dad? Um, I'm an old married woman. You have a girlfriend. There's nothing between us. But I just want to say mazel. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been, you've been hearing about these kids for about eight years. I have. I've been hearing. I feel like I'm watching them grow up, and they have no idea who the hell I am. <laughs> oh, they know who you are. <laughs> my middle son, Jonathan, is uh, uh, a little bit more in, in my footsteps. He's a political consultant, and um, he's been a political consultant for the last uh, seven or eight years, uh, coming right, almost right out of, out of college. So he's busy right now. He is in Georgia as we speak. He's senior staff for a nice Jewish boy running for Senate named John Ossoff for the United States Senate in Georgia. And he's on the senior staff. He's the email director. And he previously was the email director for a national presidential campaign, Tom Steyer, for a short time. And he worked for Need to Impeach. So he's, he's definitely in the political world. Uh, oh, cool. Um, doing a really good job for, for progressive candidates uh, so far. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my youngest son, Matthew, is, uh, is at home in college, at home in college simultaneously. Um, although he's supposed to be in school in New York at a music school called the New School at the School of Jazz. He's a very accomplished jazz mm -hmm. piano player. A lot of people around might have heard him play back when people could hear people play in restaurants because he played a lot of local restaurants with his band. Um, and he plays jazz piano and Lately, he's been more of a uh, political guy himself. He's been so involved in politics. He's, he's currently interning for our Congressman Ted Lieu and has had a previous internship and uh, uh, maybe politics is where he's going. He's a political science minor along with a music major and awesome. uh, it's what he's interested in. So we, uh. we, we, fight, we fight for the remote to, uh, to, to watch the politics on TV. I bet. And I can hear the nachas 
in your in your voice as you share. So that's really cool. Well, I'm I'm keeping track. That's seven Yiddish you're you're up to. Good. Good for I, you. I am an old Jewish lady, so it you know, that's just me for better or worse. Um, that's really cool. So um, I I think we all want you know the best things for our kids is we want them to grow up and do what they love and you know make a little money doing it. And so um, sounds like. They're well, making it happen. Yeah, I'm not sure a jazz musician's making money, and I'm not sure a political consultant's making money, and uh, so you know maybe we're working on it. So. <laughs> well, they're not just bums on your couch, so I think you know yeah. they probably will not be needing a public defender <laughs> anytime soon. So well, I think just that alone. That's the quote of that's the quote of the evening so far. Bums on my couch. <laughs> no bums on your couch, and it's okay that you're out of work for them because they don't need you for that. So Hopefully. that's good. <laughs> I know we've talked about politics. We've talked about your career as a public defender, but I mean, like, really, the most important question that I have for you is, I don't know, are you going to be able to handle this? I need to know. This is very serious about your ideal deli order. Okay, you're, you're talking to someone who, <laughs> when I would go to New York to visit yeah. Ethan when he was in New York or on way to Connecticut when I'd see him in school, or I have a day in, two days in New York. Right. I would go to Second Avenue Deli to try the pastrami. And the next day I would go to you know, Cats one of the other delis to try the pastrami so I could go like on a pastrami tour to compare, you know. So you don't take this seriously at all then? The food? <laughs> what else so you're hardcore. Jewish. I'm Jewish. <laughs> so tell me, what did you discover in your scientific findings at Second Avenue? Did you go to Katz's and hit up, I'll have what she's having? Yeah. Yeah, Second Avenue is much better. Really? But you know what? I got to tell you, they're really good. Brent's is on the same level. I know. I agree. I mean, I've been to Langer's. I've been to Brent's. I've been to a few delis in my life. And that's why we're, the screen is here and not <laughs> below. Um, and um, Brent's is right there. And I, I, I'm getting nothing from this. I should get something from this. Right. We are not sponsored by Brent's, but we're open to sponsorships. I'd be happy to help. Okay. So, so pastrami is your jam when it comes to deli. On rye, obviously. Yeah, although, you know, I don't put jam on my, you're, there's the age thing here, you know. What are you confusing me with jam? What is the fuck about jam? What, an orange marmalade? Um, Tea time at the schmooze. This is deli orders at the schmooze. Uh, the pastrami, the coleslaw, mm -hmm. coleslaw over potato salad, if that's your question. Always, always. Sorry. Um, yeah, not bad. Um, old pickle or new pickle? Old. I mean, new pickles are just cucumbers, right? <laughs> and I don't like them either. So. <laughs> All right. So, so far we're speaking the same deli order language. Obviously a bowl of matzo ball soup works for you. Yeah. Yeah. But I gotta tell you that, you know, the, if the breads has a weakness, then maybe the matzo ball soup. I'm not really? Sure. Not to give another plug out, but actually Agura Deli has a pretty good matzo ball soup. Okay, so if I'm going to compare when it comes to the MB soup, I would agree that Agora Deli slash Pickles um, in Newbury Park, because it's the same, same restaurant, 
uh, I enjoy their matzo ball soup probably more than anyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know that. Didn't know that about you and me. We can go on a matzo ball soup date and enjoy the same soup. All right. Well, so at this point of the schmooze is typically when I like to ask my guests the series of questions that are based on James Lipton's questions that he would ask his guests on Inside the Actor Studio. So I don't know if you ever are, you know, watched that show when it was on, but um, he had actors on. It's I'm just like James Lipton, and you're just like an actor. Um, so I'm he more, would. I'm more familiar with the Will Ferrell imperson, impersonation. <laughs> Well, I am. I can't do that. So um, I, I'm not very good at the Will Ferrell. Um, but I would like to know for our first question, what is your favorite Yiddish word? I've given you many choices today. Yeah, you have. Uh, well, it's got to be anything with the shm or the ha. Obviously. Um, so, you know, whether it's a schmooze or it's, uh, you know, something like that, uh, anything with a sound. Yes, the more phlegm, the better, even. I don't know that I have a specific word, um, but gotta love those sounds. I mean, it's it's what makes it Yiddish. On the flip side, what is your least favorite Yiddish word? Is there one that you're like, you know, don't want to hear that? Anything with a shma sound or a, no. Um, that was the last question, jeez. <laughs> Same thing. You know what, I really didn't grow up with Yiddish. Um, hmm. um, my my parents didn't speak it, and we weren't around with grandparents to speak it. So I've really acquired what little Yiddish I know in the last, you know, 35, 40, 40, 50 years. Um, so I don't think I have a, a negative Yiddish word. They're right. All, they all have a meaning. Right? And they all sound exactly like what they mean. So. Oh, absolutely. I think I got my Yiddish vocabulary from, of course, my grandparents. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, all the Jewish comedy that like I enjoy like Billy Crystal you know or Mel Brooks so um I feel like that's up your alley so I'm sure you could pull some vernacular from those canonic works of art well I, I do know a few words here and there but what I love is watching tv uh, or a movie and some obviously not Jewish character says something in in Yiddish and they don't even know it's Yiddish you know it's like the like the whitest you know, of the white Aryan is saying, or, you know, it's like, well, it's a schlep to get to West LA. And it just cracks me up that they have no idea that they're even speaking Yiddish. Right, they have no idea. It's so funny. Um, okay, I have a question. The next one is, what turns you on Jewishly? What about being Jewish is like, yes. You know, and I hate to sound really, um, Know, to, yeah, to whatever, but um, the social justice part of Reform Judaism is, I won't say it turns me on, but I think it's what I get the most out of Judaism, the, right. the tikkun olam and the, the being aware, and I feel that's our role um, as, awesome. as Reform Jews. Yeah, I love it, and obviously you've taken that on and like threaded that through your life work, so that's great. Um, and, and you know, anybody can. If, if you want to do something and be involved, you can just call the rabbi and say, I don't know what I could do to volunteer, but I want to do something to help. And yeah. whether you feel like you know the rabbi, he'll get to know you really quickly that way. Or, or do you feel like you know Cantor David or, or anybody, or even a friend of yours who's already involved and you know Allison and you know she's really involved, like she's 
really, really, really Jewish, I guess, you know, just letting somebody know that you want to do something to help. And you may just be a small role, but there's always a place for people to help. And um, I'll just throw that out there. And I say that as a non-member of the temple board. Who knew? Who knew? Just a passionate Jew with an opinion. I like it. And I mean, you said some really great words there. So a little symbolic mic drop for you right there. Um, we'll come back to that too. Don't you worry. Um, I'd like to know what turns you off Jewishly. What is it about our Jewish shtick? There's another one um, that you're like, eh, I could leave that. I don't need that. What is, is there anything that turns you off? Uh, this will sound weird, but um, I enjoy going to Friday night services and I enjoy the, the quietness. So you can just kind of, uh, one of my favorite times is like after a holiday when people have already come and so nobody shows up on a Friday. Sorry, see, people show up, it's still a nice crowd. But I actually like that better than, sorry, I'm not crazy about the high holidays when everybody shows up and yeah. um, it's just, I don't feel the same way of the religion. I don't feel the praying. I just feel like everyone's showing up. Like the obligation part of it? Yeah, I yeah. guess that's what I'm trying to say. So. Yeah, I get it. You appreciate, it sounds like, the um, just like going for going sake, not because you feel like you have to. Which... Well, let's, we still both know why I'm going there. It's, it's the Oneg. Yeah, okay. I mean, you <laughs> said that, but yeah. We'll, we'll get to that also. Um, in fact, that's uh, my next question is pretend that you show up to Friday night services and it's a quiet one, the one you like, and, uh, and you, you go to the Oneg after and you see that there are no cookies or babka. They did not show up. They didn't get delivered that day. What would be your favorite curse word to say in that moment? Wait, wait, wait. You mean I sat through the service? <laughs> you and, sat and through the service? There was no disclaimer ahead of time saying, just a heads up for those of you that are here, mainly for the, oh my God. It's a bait and switch situation. And you've, you were baited and you've been switched. And now you've, they open the accordion doors. You sit in the back because that's where you like to be closest to the Oneg. And then there's nothing there. What curse word? The question is, what is your favorite curse word? You can say it. Golly gee. Oh that's my. Curse word. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> so that's it? As far as I'm going with that. You've disappointed me, Dan Cooperberg. I know you have more in you, but you're saving I've it. Disappointed you many times, so I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to leave that right there because we know what he would really say. Um, all right. What temple leadership role would you want to attempt? And we're not signing you up for anything. So don't freak out that this means you're immediately volunteering in this right now on the spot. But if you could go for any temple leadership role, what would it be? Is this, is this the question that, that when, okay, we, we're, we're happy with you doing a podcast, Allison. That's great. And you could use the TE website and we'll even, you know, pay one 15 cents to your, to your Zoom account. But um, you have to ask the question so we can get some volunteers out of this. That's the whole point of this damn show is trying to get people to volunteer. No, I want to know, like, because it says a lot about your personality. Like if you're into uh, like money and, and being organized, then maybe you would say treasurer right? Or 
you heard me say deputy public defender, so I'm definitely not into money. <laughs> um, uh, I don't mind it, but it's never been a big thing there. Um, right. You know, I, I, I will say that I sort of had the leadership roles that I've wanted. Um, I think if I wanted to have, you know, be involved in the presidency or vice presidency, I could try to do that, but it doesn't really interest me mm -hmm. um, right now. I don't know that it might not, but right now I don't, don't need that. I sort of let the temple leadership know that I'm available to do certain things. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud that I'm right now involved with the uh, anti-racism aspects. I've been sort of chairing that up, working with um, Marsha Gordon from Social Action Committee and a lot of other great volunteers. And yeah. together we've been putting together the White Fragility book club groups and the discussions among race. And I hope you had a chance to watch the interview that Barry and I did with Kiyomi Kowalski, candidate for the Los Virginis Unified School Board. Uh, I won't mention that she's running for that for those people that still haven't voted in the next three days. But just in um, case. And, and April Powers was also in that interview, a mm -hmm. former Temple member who I think we're trying to recruit back, but don't mention that. Um, so, I mean, I've been involved with projects like that. And um, as I'm winding down those, if there's another project, uh, they, know, they know how to reach me and <laughs> I may so, do that. So it sounds like you're always happy to be part of something if your expertise fills, fits the bill and, uh, and you're on standby, which is great. Yeah, I'm, I love in it. Bull, I'm in the bullpen. Yeah, yeah, you're warming up. Getting back to the questions. What is a t temple leadership role you would not want? Like, no thank you, do not sign me up. All the ones I haven't been. <laughs> He's made that clear, Rabbi, you hear that? <laughs> All right, final question, here we go. Um, so I just wanna say for, I don't know how many episodes we've done now, maybe nine or so, um, I've asked this question and just recently I got a really wonderful piece of feedback email from Rabbi Diamond um, who taught me how to frame this question so it would work Judaically. So the question is normally in James Lipton's world, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? But I've been um, given the feedback on how to make that make more sense in our context. So here we go. The first time I'm asking the question in the correct Jewish way is this. No pressure. No pressure, don't mess it up, Dan. In Judaism, the Garden of Eden is sometimes used synonymously with the idea of heaven. So if there was an afterlife, what would you want God to say to you when you arrive at the gates of the Garden of Eden? Wow. I know. I asked the deep questions on the schmooze. That's really heavy. And this is only iced tea. Um, <laughs> if I'd have known, have you ever heard of the word stall? I, I, I know exactly what you're doing. Vamping? Uh, Riff? You know, an interesting corollary to that would be how many people really want to like sort of attend their own funeral, right? Right. And don't we all want to do that? You know, was it Mark Twain, you know? show us that in Tom Sawyer, right? Right. And, and hear what people say about you. And um, so having given you that thought there, I, I guess the more, just, just, just the thought that, you know, you did good. Yeah. You, you, you weren't perfect. Um, I have plenty of people in my family that will share that part of it with you. Um, 
um, but you did good. You did this or you did that. You helped these people. You didn't help these people. You know, whatever it was that uh, you did good. You made a difference. Um, you were a positive force in the world, uh, positive force in, in your world, which is a little smaller, you know, the, your community. Yep. You, you were a part of the community. Um, I guess that would be the legacy or the end. I don't know. Yeah. Too yeah, deep. I know. Too deep. It's really deep. I know. See, I, I, I asked the big questions, the hard ones. This isn't like entertainment tonight. This is like, you know, a big deal. So I think you answered that really nicely and you don't need to second guess or, or judge yourself on that. Um, it's a hard question. I, honestly, I'm asking this question all the time and I've never answered it myself. So who's- So in that case, Allison, oh, we're <laughs> out of time. We're out of time. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. <laughs> um, no, but actually that really does conclude our interview. And I am like, Please just punch that you were here and joining me on Zoom from Stanford. Please, please just punch. Please just punch. Um, why didn't you ask me what's the phrase I don't want to hear? <laughs> where does that come from? Please just punch. Is punch, is punch pleased? I mean, where did you get that? I probably heard somebody say it. And Nick here we night. are. Nick at night, youngin. <laughs> I think it's about the alliteration. The please does punch, you know? Okay. But you're right. Like, is punch pleased? I've never heard that. I don't know. Punch, punch doesn't talk to me. Anyway, so I am rich. I'm just really glad, okay, that you were here with me um, sharing all your deepest, darkest secrets and, uh, <laughs> and putting up with my jokes as I have been putting up with yours for, as we said, about eight or nine years. Um, but that's why we're buddies. So yeah, I'm just so glad. And I'm, I'm glad to see your face and hear your voice and know that you're doing good stuff. Well, that's the best part. It's nice seeing you. We haven't seen each other recently in a while. And so it's right. well, there's no Oneg. There's no Oneg yeah. to run into you at. And we're not, we're not on any committees that we're laughing in the back of the room at. So um, yeah. For those that don't know, Dan and I, whenever we're on a committee together, which is almost all the ones I've been on, we're usually like in the back making really snarky comments and whoever's in charge is like giving us the face, so. You two, separate. <laughs> Pretty much, for the bad kids who go to like temple detention. Um, but we figure, eh, we'll, we'll deal with that at Yom Kippur. What so a cool place, <laughs> temple detention. <laughs> we'll talk to Rabbi and see if we should install one of a temple detention room. You finally found a temple leadership post I can do. I'm in charge of temple detention. That's you, where all the bad kids go for talking during services or committee groups. Yes. So anyways, thank you again for being here. And um, I hope everyone enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better while we're all away from each other at this point. And uh, wave to your fans. Thank you. Thanks. And, and to all uh, 14 people that are going to watch this, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, 13 of you came on to see Allison. And the one, the one son of mine that did watch, God bless you. He gets more Hanukkah presents this year, right? Uh, yeah. She's hoping for a lot more than that. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, everybody. And I'll see you next time on The Schmooze.